You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Hey there, lexiconosaurs and word chefs. Welcome to episode 45 of The Melting Podcast. I'm your head chef, A.F. Grappen. I'm the important one, Erin Kazmark. I mean, grill mistress. Sorry, grill mistress. Uh-huh. There's a dog barking in the background. Sorry about that. That's our neighbor's dog. It won't shut up. It's okay. I'm the important one. Uh Uh-huh. So what do we have on the menu for them today? Well, today's specials include a duck that has been seared and roasted lightly. No, 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 no. You're thinking of the wrong thing. That's the other story. That's the other project we're working on. Right. What? What? No, we're not going to tell what that project is. Not yet. You'll have to wait and find out. It involves ducks. One duck. It involves a duck. A very cute duck. According to me, anyway. Yeah. Anyway, so the menu. So we've got the roast duck. Um, for a an appetizer, we have some really good cheese that has been breaded and lightly fried. Cheese. Yeah. And for dessert, cheesecake in the shape of a duck. Okay, I, I have a feeling we're, we're getting a little too much over onto a foul territory that I really don't want to chicken out on. So let's duck out and uh, actually get to the real main event here. Goose it. (laughs) Come on, that was funny. So bad. Uh, You can cut it, I don't care. No, I'm not cutting that. Oh, shit. (laughs) I have the power. Before we get to the things. (laughs) Specific. Yeah. Um, It's May 1st. Indeed. Mayday! 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 And very soon, may the 4th be with you. And Cinco de Mayo. Mm-hmm. And National Hangover Day. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, what what's going on at the end of May? It's gonna be May. Sorry, I went back to my in-sync days, pre-teen that, years. That was bad. What's going on at the end of May? Um, something in some northeastern coastal state, I think. I... I don't know. These people keep talking about it. I, it, it, I, I don't know. I just, I'm just going for the crab cakes. Balticon. Balticon. You sure it's not Baltimorticon? I can say it this year. Balticon. Yay! We will both be there, and we think there's going to be a live recorded episode at Balticon of the Melting Podcast. Of the Melting, well, there'll be live recorded episodes of many things. We should have one of us. And we've got uh, a lot of good things in store for it. So surprises. there will most likely be some audience participation involved. So if you're coming to Balticon, check your schedules, find out when it is, show up. We need you. And you'll be recorded on there speaking if we have audience participation yes. stuff going on. So so just that heads up. In the meantime, while we're here and not at Balticon, let's start off with a main ingredient story, shall we? I think that sounds like a good idea. Now, this is kind of the reverse of the main ingredient stories we get based on a Stoke the Fire prompt, where they're just gigantic Stoke the Fire stories. Mm -hmm. This is a main ingredient that is Stoke the Fire length, but it's not based on a prompt. Mm -hmm. So this is tiny story. It qualifies as a main ingredient because it's not based on any of our prompts or anything, but it's more of a flash. It is. And this is a first-time author. And I... Thoroughly enjoyed reading this story. This one, this one was a lot of fun. I really liked this. So, so brand new word, chef. Brand new story. 
Let's go. Bon appetit. Her Evening Chair by Heath Howell Melissa closes her eyes as she settles back into her evening chair. She feels her belly full and the satisfaction of another day accomplished. She takes a very few deep breaths and lets herself just relax. As her energy settles, she sees the confluence of dim colors behind her eyelids. She hears the subtlest sounds all around the yard. Another deep breath slowly in and then out. In the background, the faint hum of traffic resounds like a distant ocean of engines and tires ebbing and flowing as the masses file away from another grinding day in the city. A faint breeze blows across the fine hairs on the back of her neck, lightly tickling the very nerves that collect an unfathomable compilation of stimulus throughout the day. In her hands, she feels the smooth wooden arms of her favorite rocking chair. Her feet rest on the dusty planks of her raw, sawn wooden front porch floor. Her bottom presses into the seat, and she rests her head on the back of the chair. She takes another deep breath in. While at the top of her lungs, she sips one last little bit of air before exhaling with a vibrant groan that gradually subsides into a faint hum. All stressors fall away. She pauses momentarily at the bottom of her breath before allowing her diaphragm to once again resume its regular movement. She smells the sweet smell of decaying leaves mixed with a refreshing hint of the peppermint that has taken over her garden just over the waist-high gray picket fence only a few feet away. With the residual taste of garlic and delicious char, her mouth brings to mind the recent memory of a medium-rare New York strip and creamy mashed potatoes that she prepared so perfectly for dinner that evening. Melissa moves her attention between her senses, trying to merge them by holding two in her awareness at once. Taste of garlic and touch of the wooden chair arms. The back of her head on her chair and the smell of fall leaves. The smell of peppermint and the sound of distant motorists. The sound of the subtle breeze and a vision of dim, converging colors projected onto the backs of her eyelids. The tiniest smile cracks in the left corner of her soft lips as all five of her senses begin to melt together. Feeling thankful that all of these faculties not only still work, but seem to be more vibrant as her life continues to discover this human experience, she allows her attention to accept the amalgamation of stimulus from all five senses. Her awareness slowly expands, bringing each stimulus closer to the next until all five senses merge into one experience. The stillness of her being is strong and steady. She is centered in her consciousness. She feels the flow of energy through her body as a significant calmness descends upon her. She has opened up a safe space for herself without fear of judgment, regret from the past, or anxiety about the future. Her entire being is unwaveringly focused solely on this moment. She continues to breathe with the certainty of knowing the spirits have come into play. She knows that these daily moments of stillness and awareness 
conjure an ever-increasing divine subtlety that would otherwise be unrecognizable to her consciousness. Unlike so many people who succumb to the distractions that arise out of undisciplined boredom, Melissa has discovered a yearning for these moments. She has developed an appetite for the opportunity to allow awareness to take hold of the smallest details in life and travel attentively to infinite depths in search of a connection to her higher self. As her mind grows still with awareness, the solidity of her being is impeccable. The steady beat of her heart rapturously thumps in her chest. Her body pulses as her senses slip once more into a deeper awareness of her external being. Her mind is at bay, allowing her awareness to expand to the extent of the infinite. Internally, she feels pressure from the blood that flows through her veins. She becomes aware of the life force emanating from her core. The pounding of her heart subsides and disguises itself in harmony with the radiance of her vibrant energy. She witnesses the unmistakable feeling of floating. No longer does she feel the chair arms under her hands or the porch floor beneath her feet. No longer does she smell the leaves or hear the hum of distant cars. No longer does her mouth recognize the lingering taste of food. But her sight, on the contrary, has transformed into something remarkable. Not only are the colors becoming brighter, they have a distinct feeling of texture to each of them. As they mix together, the relative sensations morph into hybrids of one another. Each color has a tone that can be heard, and a smell more potent than anything smelled by the corporeal nose. Each wave of color is no longer color at all, but a brilliant, radiant light. Melissa reaches out farther than she ever could before, chasing the brilliance that dances through her being. This is not something external or separate from who or what she is. This experience exists at the core of her being, yet expands to the farthest reaches of the galaxy. She dances with the experience for as long as her endurance will support her. The few moments that this experience prevailed have transcended any value of time. But just like the rhythm of the day, the brilliance of this experience has reached its climax and naturally must begin to fade. Melissa begins to feel again the encapsulation of her body. The invigorating intensity is quelled by her serenity and peace of mind. The stability of being remains as her awareness of those radiant life forces fade, the pounding of her heart subsiding. Her mind steps in and unbraids the convergence of her five external senses. She hears the cars again and smells the refreshing peppermint. She feels her feet on the ground and sees once again only the darkness of the backs of her eyelids. She is calm. She is collected. She is even. Melissa opens her eyes and settles back into her evening chair.
AF? Yo, hang on. I'm chilling right now. That was me. I'm in a good place. Why don't we have rocking chairs in the disaster kitchen? Because it's a kitchen. I like to rest my feet from time to time, and we should do it with rocking chairs. Those things sound pretty epic after that story. Yeah, I I enjoyed that story. It's very calming. It was calming to read. It put me into almost a zen-like state doing that. I really enjoyed it. It's, It's so intriguing that it doesn't really have a conflict, per se. It didn't need it. Mm-mm. I think I think my biggest observation from that story is that it felt musical. Yeah. It flowed like music. It followed a pattern like music. It made sense to me. So well, there's my little analysis. You know, you know what we should do? What? We're both in analytical moods right now. Yeah. Why don't we analyze something? Are you talking about pots boiling over? Or I could be talking about you know, a food critic. Why don't we do both? Oh, this is a good idea. Well, while we get our um, analytical brains fired up... Grandma Hammer. Here's a promo. In Empire of Bones, Commander Jared Mertz and Princess Kelsey scored a stunning victory over the Savage Pale Ones. Yet, they paid a terrible price for it, one that left their ship crippled and changed the princess forever. As Kelsey struggles to master the combat enhancements the Pale Ones forcibly implanted inside her, and Jared works feverishly to resurrect an ancient battlecruiser, they discover the Pale Ones aren't as defeated as they seemed. Jared and Kelsey race to unravel the secrets behind the ancient rebellion that destroyed galactic civilization and thwart unseen foes determined to take their new ship and their lives. If they fail, an entire planet dies. Veil of Shadows, Book Two in the Empire of Bones Saga, written by Terry Mixon. Well, that was a promo. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't work. Alrighty then. So now that we have promoted someone. They got a raise in a fancy new office and an executive title. No, 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 no. We, we, we played their promo. Oh, that kind of promoting. There you go. Good job. Good, our budget's not great. No, but we'll get to that later. Wink, uh, wink. Yeah. Nudge, I'm, glad, I'm, glad, I'm glad you said wink, wink, because they couldn't see it if you just did it. Yeah. Like I tried to. But anyway, now that we've promoted someone, now let's promote someone in another way by doing a food critic. A food critic? What's a food critic? You. Oh. Go me. Woo! (laughs) So tell me, AF, what are you going to be critiquing today? I will be critiquing the book Comorbid by Lorelai Logsdon. So what is this book about? Okay. Comorbid follows the story of a man named James who, when he was 17, watched his abusive father choke his mother to death. Well, then. And then a stranger named Alistair came into the house and killed James's father right in front of his eyes. Wow. Yeah. Because, because as Alistair said, James didn't have the guts to do it himself. Okay. So... Fast forward 
17-year-old James is now in his early 30s. Mm-hmm. And Alistair returns. James, you know, never told anyone about Alistair because Alistair said, you know, you tell, I'm going to kill you. Oh, fun. Now Alistair's back saying that James owes him. And PTSD-ridden James, who never stands up for himself, as evidenced by his, you know, victim childhood. Mm -hmm. Dead-end job, just no girlfriend, very crappy life, a very worrisome, anxiety-ridden, understandably is finding himself taken through town by Alistair and helping Alistair kill people who deserve it. Like pedophiles, animal abusers. um, Kind of like fighting fire with fire. Yes. So now all of a sudden James has blood on his hands. Directly or indirectly? Directly. What Alistair makes him do. Okay. So he's basically dealing with that. His past coming to revisit him. You do get to see the um, kind of a secondary storyline of James's parents, the circumstances leading to to James's birth, how bad that whole situation was. And to be perfectly honest, and I'm going to go ahead and start getting into the critique here, I actually enjoyed James's parents' story more than I enjoyed James's. Okay. They, they were both good. Well, you're very much a backstory person. Origin stories, prequels. Mm-hmm. Yes. That, that's what you seem to enjoy. How a person becomes who they are, not mm-hmm. how they fulfill their destiny. Yes. So I can see why that would appeal to you. What age group and genre is this geared towards? This is a psychological thriller mm-hmm. um, at the very youngest young adult. Okay. It's mostly for violence purposes. There's not really a whole lot of bad language. Um, there's some mention of sex, but no explicit explicit sex scenes. Mm-hmm. It's mostly just the violence. Okay. Um, and even the violence isn't gruesome, but it is adult. Implied. Thing. It's implied. It's, yeah. It's 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 heavy. Okay. So how did you feel the plot flowed? Everything was well paced. Okay. I never really got bored. Um, the the book just. Kept, kept going along. I didn't feel like it dragged anywhere. It was very easy to read. Um, okay. Logsdon's prose is very accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, not complex. Just, it's straightforward. Okay. And uh, just, the, like I said, the plot, there wasn't wasted time, wasted space. It, 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 Efficient. It was. It was, it was, it was a very easy read mm-hmm. and a quick one. What about the characters? Did you feel they were well fleshed out, believable? The characters, James was obviously the most developed. Well, yeah. Because it's it's not in first person point of view, but it is limited to his POV in third person. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do see everything through his eyes, except for obviously the secondary plot with his parents. Mm-hmm. The main action does occur in James's head. Um, I feel like James and James's mother were the most well-fleshed-out characters. Um, and honestly, I think his mother was better off than James was, which which may have been another reason I liked her storyline better than James's. Um, James, you understand what he does and why he does it, but at the same time, he did feel a little flat. Like well, he, it sounds like the story more happens to him rather than him driving himself. So it could have been a yeah, symptom of it, that. It, it could have been. Um, like there, there were times when he did try to take action, mm-hmm. but even then, things did seem to 
be more reactive than proactive on his part. Mm-hmm. That's not saying it's bad. You understand because of his traumatic background why he is that way. Yeah. But there were some bits of reasoning that he did that just kind of baffled me. Not that I disagree that a person would do that, just like, is he really making this decision or is he doing this just so the plot will move forward? Okay. Like I said, not bad, not as good as it could have been. Now, the secondary characters, we have a few. There's Vicky, who's one of James's co-workers. Mm-hmm. Mark, who is one of James's, like, his only friend. There's um, Dr. Pruitt, who is his psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, there's Alistair. Yeah. I really don't feel like they were people, if that makes sense. Yeah, they it does. had They had their consistencies. Mm-hmm. Like, whenever James interacted with Vicky, Vicky was always, she was consistent in her actions and her, her language. But I feel like outside the story, there wasn't a Vicky. You know? Yeah, she didn't feel fleshed. Yeah, and it felt the same way. Dr. Pruitt was, was better. Kind of like holograms that only exist for the purpose of the main character. They're, they're good while they're there, but you feel like they don't have any substance otherwise. Yeah, it's like, I, I, like I said, Dr. Pruitt was the closest I felt like to having a life outside of her interactions with James. Mm-hmm. Mark, maybe a little bit, but he was almost too convenient. Or could some of that possibly have been, again, a symptom of it being from the point of view of a man who was very messed up? It, it's possible it could have been. Um, but, again, all I have to really go on is my perceptions as a reader. And, like I said, so much of it just felt convenient. Mm-hmm. Like I said, not bad. It wasn't badly written. It just didn't live up to the potential I, I wish it had. Okay. All right. So, on that note, how many spoons would you give it? I'm going to give it four spoons. Four out of five? Four out of five. Okay. Like I said, it was the ease to read it was good. It was very easy to sink into it and just read, 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 read. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't feel any sort of, you know, dissatisfaction while I was reading it. It was when I was finished that I was like, oh. You went back and thought about it. Yeah. So that's good. It seems like the action mm-hmm. keeps moving and keeps you going and all that, and you don't really notice all that stuff in the moment. So it's mm-hmm. still a good read. Yeah, it is. Um, I will say that it being a psychological thriller, that there is a twist to it. And I actually just kind of figured out the twist without really thinking about it when I was 88% through with the book. Mm-hmm. I read the ebook so I could see the percentage complete. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's kind of went, oh. Well, I know how this ends. Okay. And and you're I, not the kind of person who usually does that. No, I'm not. So it had that bit of predictability to it. I was only partially right. Okay. So that that alone was good. Um, You know, even if you do sit and figure it out, there's nothing wrong with that. Because the way that Logsdon did it, it still felt like the story was done. So, so it was had good completion. It did. It really did. Um, like I said, there are, there are a few little things I wish could have been explained better in, in the prose. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a little too much left to the reader's imagination or kind of things that might demand a reread mm-hmm. to get those details. But at the same time, I, I don't want to say I don't want to go back and reread it, but you know, I feel like I got what I needed out of it. Okay. So four out of five spoons. 
That's a very respectable rating. Yeah, absolutely. So go pick up a copy of Comorbid by Lorelai Logsdon. You can get it on Amazon.com. Give it a read. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Ah, nothing like a full stomach after a good book meal. Then that would be a full brain. Yeah, okay. A full mind stomach. Oh. Feed your mind. Eat books. Not, not, not quite, but close. Good job. We could throw them in the pot. I mean, the pot's boiling. You want to know why it's boiling? Because something boils my pot. Oh, really? So, the boils, what boils my pot segment is when Aaron, in particular, rants about crimes against storytelling. Crimes against writing, crimes against prose. Um, could It could be even be involving um, TV, movies, just storytelling itself. Um, so I'm going to give her a topic to rant on. Let her go. I may pop in with a question or a comment here or there, but this is... Aaron's griping about just bad. Just bad. <laughs> bad, 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 bad. Bad. All right, so what would you like me to rant on today? The physical description shopping list. Oh, that one really boils my pot. Okay, it's it, it, it's basically a laundry list of features. It's where essentially the main character stands in a mirror and lists all of their features. It's an info dump of physical appearance and it's annoying and it's overdone and it's so easily avoided and it takes away from the story. It, it, it halts everything. So unless it's absolutely vital to the story that you know what this person looks like, especially in a first person narrative, I mean, how often do you really stand in front of a mirror and catalog your features? I mean, I know a lot of women and hey, some men, you know, inclusive here, will do that while maybe getting ready for a, a special interview or something. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, yeah, but I'm not going to sit here and think my brown hair, my brown eyes, my pale skin. I, I'm, I'm more just looking at it. I'm not thinking it. Mm -hmm. So to have a character in a book do that, it immediately turns me off of them because that's not real. People don't do that. Um, there is one example I can think of where it was done appropriately and well, and that's the beginning of the Divergent series. Mm -hmm. Because, and spoilers if you haven't read it, well, I guess it's not really a spoiler, it's the yeah. beginning of the book. But yeah. still, if, if you haven't read it, um, the main character belongs to a group that basically, it's like monks in a way. Yeah, they're, they're completely selfless. Completely selfless. There's no vanity. There's no partying there, there, there there's nothing you you eat you work you do your chores you're done it's like even even romance is very very hush hush and quiet and private it's it's deliberate self-deprivation yeah. essentially mm -hmm. so they don't use mirrors except on absolutely important occasions and so this girl she's getting ready for this big coming of age event mm -hmm. her mother's doing her hair and She's looking in a mirror for, it, it's very rare yeah, for like her. Once a year, maybe. Yeah, they, they don't really get to do this. So she's actually, she's looking at herself as if she's looking at someone else. So she is cataloging all the features and the eyes, the hair, mm -hmm. the skin color, the shape of the nose, the, the little flyaways on your hair, you know, 
when you don't see yourself. Like, um, say you were one of the British settlers coming to the New World, mm -hmm. coming to America, and you show a Native American, say you meet up with a, a, a Cherokee tribe, and they've never seen a mirror before. The closest they've come to seeing their reflection is maybe in the water, but we all know how distorted that can be. Say you hand them a looking glass. What do you think they're going to do? They're going to catalog themselves. But those of us who use one every day, mm -hmm. we don't do that. So to have it done in a story is is tropey. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it doesn't do anything. No, it's not necessarily only with first-person narratives either. There are so many just crimes where... You know, you're reading a book and it's in third person or even in first person when a new character walks in and all of a sudden there's a paragraph laundry listing their appearance. Yeah. Um, I'm not thinking of a specific example yeah. at the moment, but it's like you meet a new person and it's a third person. You know, Joe looked up and saw that Sally had walked in and she had blonde curly hair and blue eyes, the bluest blue he'd ever seen. And, mm -hmm. and, and they try to tie it in and make it interesting because... He finds her attractive or something, but it's still a lot. You're not going to do that. Yeah. When you actually meet a person, if you want to make this character real and make them believable, you want to know what this woman looks like. You want to tell your reader what they look like so they can feel like they're in the story. I get that. Mm -hmm. But what does your character notice? What does the main character who is noticing this person notice? Are they a, a teeth person? Mm -hmm. Would they notice her smile? They're not going to necessarily say her alabaster skin. Yeah. They say her bright smile lit up the room. And from there you can, or if, mm -hmm. if he's only attracted to blondes, mm -hmm. then he looked at her because she had blonde hair. And if a woman didn't have blonde hair, he didn't care. Mm -hmm. There are ways that you can tie it into the story and make it important. Um, another one that I love is uh, Harry Potter. Yes. It is so drilled into Harry how much he looks like his parents. He looks just like his father. Untidy black hair, glasses, pale skin. It is extremely important in almost all of his interactions with adults in the in the wizarding world that he looks like his father. So we have to know what his father looks like mm -hmm. and therefore what Harry looks like. And then although you have your mother's eyes, you have your mother's eyes, you have your mother's eyes. Well, we have to know what those eyes look like. So it was important mm -hmm. for it to be detailed what he looked like. Um, and, and the same thing with the Weasley family, the, the red hair. It's a defining feature for their family. It's something that connects them all, binds them together. And the rest of the wizarding world obviously easily identifies Weasleys mm -hmm. because of this hair and these certain features about them. Um, Hermione's appearance was extremely important because she was a misfit. We needed to know that this girl had frizzy hair and big buck teeth that stuck out and all this because she didn't fit in with so many of the other girls. But one thing that you'll notice, her skin color's never mentioned. Yeah. It's not important. What is important is that she has frizzy hair and big mm -hmm. teeth. Yeah, there's a lot of theories that, you know, Hermione was actually meant to be black. Mm-hmm. And J.K. Rowling herself has not confirmed that. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't important. It wasn't. So only give the details that are important. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, well, and if I can interject, um, kind of to go back to what you were saying before about how, you know, was it Johnny would look at Sally and notice her bright smile, or whatever that actually can give you an opportunity to build your POV character as well. Like say 
what would a person of a certain profession notice about someone? A dentist would notice the smile. A person who deals in jewelry would notice what earrings she's wearing. A hairstylist would notice the hair color mm-hmm. and style. A chiropractor um, would notice posture. Or a dancer would notice yeah, posture. Yeah, so, so that's another way you can use that, that particular POV to tell us more about this new character that's appearing. Like, just, I mean, say, I'm a writer. And I'm also a musician. So I'm going to notice anything like that. Like if like first looking at Erin, I notice her hands. I notice that she's got a pianist's long fingers. Or a guitarist. Or a guitarist's. Um, I notice how she moves because music and dance are very tied together. She's graceful. I notice if people are walking in step to the music that's playing, like in mm-hmm. a store. Yes. Things like that. So just think about... You can use what your character notices about a new person they're meeting to tell something about your character. Yeah. To tell about who are they use it to move the story forward. If you've got Mm -hmm. to do descriptions, um, move it forward. Now to kind of backtrack on what I'm saying, you do want to describe your character. Mm -hmm. I mean, unless you are absolutely going for the one size fits all ambiguity, ambiguity, unless that is your ultimate goal. We do want to know something about them. Are they male or female? Which that's going to be pretty obvious depending on the kinds of pronouns you use. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're going to use a singular they or something like that. Yeah. And if you do, hey, power to you. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we're going to know their gender. Um, something that I had uh, talked about recently with AF was um, if a character's tall, you don't have to say they're tall. Put them in situations where being tall is awkward, like taking mm-hmm. a shower mm-hmm. and the shower head is down at their shoulders and they have to squat. You don't have to say he was tall. Yeah. You can say he went to take a shower and like always, the shower head was too low for him. So he had to duck. Or or have him, you know, constantly noticing just the tops of people's heads. Mm-hmm. Because like, that's all he sees. He's always looking down. Mm-hmm. Eventually, the reader's going to pick up on that and like, oh, so this guy's tall. Cool. Mm-hmm. Or if a girl's really short, she's always standing on her tiptoes. She's always climbing on something to reach it. She's really familiar with everyone's nipples. <laughs> okay. Just because that's your experience because you're short. Shut up. <laughs> But no, there there are ways to do it. But you do want to describe your character because you don't want to fall into the, and God, I cannot believe I'm mentioning these books, a Twilight thing. Well, it's mentioning them as, you know, criminals. As a bad thing. Yeah. Um, Bella, Bella was Bella was a blank canvas. She's a Lego brick. She's the human equivalent of a blank piece of paper. Yes. As well as the actress. Ha <laughs> well, ha. But anyway. She's actually a decent actress. She was playing Bella as she was written. Yeah. But anyway. Um. It was written supposedly so that every girl could imagine herself as Bella. And you're only given enough rough description to kind of know who she is, but it's still it's just so blank. And in her appearance being blank, her personality also became blank. Mm-hmm. Whereas if maybe she had had other personal other character traits, yeah. physical traits, start describing things, then she becomes a real person and you start caring about her. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to under-describe unless your goal is for the reader to not know. Which, if you can write a story like that, I want to read it. Um, but there there are better ways to slip it in. Like, something about me mm-hmm. is whenever the wind blows my hair across my face, I notice the color. I think about the color. Mm-hmm. Because part of that is because I do color my hair. So my hair has been different colors over the last, like, ten years. 
So because of that, because I regularly mm-hmm. color my hair, I notice what color my hair is. So if somebody was writing a story about me, mm-hmm. they could tell the color of my hair by putting me outside in a windy situation. My hair blows across my eyes. I'm the kind of person who knows his hair color. I would think about it. Therefore, you've just told your reader what color my hair is mm-hmm. without having to stop the story, without it not making sense, without, again, info dumping. Yeah, You can take the entire book. Mm-hmm. To reveal everything about a character. Yes. And, and again, this this one doesn't really apply as much to TV and movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, not as much as the last one we did. Yeah. But but no, you, you don't have to do an info dump to describe your character, your POV, or any character. If it's not important to the story, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. You'll get around to it. You'll find ways to slip in details. But But it really, really, really boils my pot when I'm reading a book and all of a sudden I've got a character standing in front of a mirror listing their features. Or a character meeting another person and instead of interacting with them uh-huh. and me learning about the character through interaction, instead the, char- the POV is just listing what they look like. There's Erin with her glasses over chocolatey brown eyes. And a nose that is perfectly straight and almost buttonish turns up just a little bit at the end. Well, then it's not perfectly straight. Yeah, I meant like at the bridge of it. Oh, okay. But, and hair but down yeah. to her shoulder. Yeah, it's. I mean, how you, you could do things like they're they're meeting a person. What do they notice first? Eyes, smile, hands, mm-hmm. good handshake, looking up because they're tall. And then through the course of the meeting and the first interaction, mm-hmm. you know, she tucked her reddish brown hair behind her ear. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty color, one that reminded me of you know what. A, yeah. You you can slip them in here and there where it's relevant. Think about how much better it would be if instead of that description of Aaron that I just gave would be, and there's Aaron. Oh my gosh, she's got cleavage you could hold a parade in. <laughs> You're still info dumping. I am, but you know what? But it's relatable. But it's relatable. And, and that's, that's the sort of thing you notice. And that tells you what I notice. That gives you more information on Boobs. my character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're magnificent, okay? <laughs> Aaron has magnificent boobs. So, thanks for that. If I can, if I can just real quick before we wrap up this boil my pot, if I can play devil's advocate, please do. Are there situations where it's okay to not describe a character at all and leave it up to the reader? Are Are you talking about a secondary, a tertiary, a POV? Secondary and tertiaries. I mean. One-off characters you don't necessarily need to describe in depth, obviously. Are there situations where a main character can be without physical description and not be a Bella Swan? I think so. Um, It would need to be certain formats. I think it's easiest to do in a short story. Mm -hmm. Because you don't spend enough time with the character anyway for it to really matter. You're not Mm -hmm. spending the length of a novel or a series or anything like this getting to know this person. So in a short story, it's easy. You You don't have to do any of that. Um, in, in an actual, like, full-length novel, though, I think it would be a lot harder because people are going to want to know Mm -hmm. that they want, they, people create a picture in their head of what this person looks like. Now, say you're writing a story that's from the perspective of a man who was basically raised by wolves, Mm -hmm. out in the world, never interacts with people. His appearance means nothing to him. Yeah. So, for readers to get into his head... They don't need to know what he looks like because he doesn't know either. Mm-hmm. It's not important. So if it fits with your story where appearances mean nothing, what if the character's blind? Mm-hmm. Then appearances aren't going to matter. So you can completely do away with all of that if it's specifically from their POV. Mm-hmm. 
Otherwise, things could get confusing in descriptions, and, and you don't know who's talking about what. And Sometimes uh, in conversations, if you're tired of saying he said, she said, or if there's multiple girls, listing their name each time. If each girl has a specific hair color, mm-hmm. and you want to give away you know, some differences between them, say, the one... One's brunette, one's blonde, one's redhead. Mm-hmm. It's like the redhead Is this laughed. a joke? Yeah, totally. <laughs> the one tossed her head and laughed. So you can avoid using names and pronouns right. to start everything. So it can become confusing and it can limit you if you don't describe them. But again, that's secondary or tertiary. Mm-hmm. So for the main POV character, I absolutely think it can be done and be done well and acceptably, obviously, to not describe your character. It just has to make sense. Mm-hmm. has to make sense with the story. It has to fit appearances need to not mean anything. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I'm thinking, thinking of The Giver. Yes. Where appearances did mean nothing. Yeah. No color, you know, n- mm-hmm. none of this. You don't get the descriptions. Yeah. Because... You get it, one you get one person's hair color because that's the color that um, Jonas begins to see. Red. Red. Starts seeing red. So he sees Fiona's hair. And yeah. her, she's a redhead. And it becomes important. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't important before then, so right. nothing's mentioned. That becomes really significant. It does. That's a great example. Thank you. I'm proud of that one. But but yeah, so there are absolutely situations and, and ways that you can do it without describing the character. But if you're going to describe your character, either avoid the info dump or make the info dump make sense. Like someone's being... uh, uh Say it's a woman um, who's been stolen for sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. And she's your POV character, and you haven't described her up to this point. Mm -hmm. But she's been kidnapped. Well, if people are going to pimp her out, they have descriptions. Mm -hmm. So you might have them listing her descriptions. And that's how you find out what she looks like. And that's how you can do the list, Mm -hmm. the info dump. But it still moves the story. Mm -hmm. So, there. If you're going to do it, don't do it in a tropey way. It doesn't have to be a trope. Yes. And that's what boils my pot. Thank you, AF. Hey, Aaron. Eh? I think it's about that time. Christmas? No. But I like Christmas. Well, I, I get that, but we're way off of Christmas. Dinner time? We've already had dinner tonight. Oh. That is being the day that this was actually recorded. Bedtime? We're getting close. Well, then what time is it? It's time to wrap up the episode. With bow? Sure. Bow type pasta. In a doggy bag? Aww. <laughs> I get it. Good. Why don't you tell these good people about iTunes? Well, see, it's this thing that you can get on your computer. About what they that... can do on iTunes. Listen to music, listen to podcasts. Which, like, like this one. Especially this one. Yeah. There are others. I've heard. I've heard rumors. I haven't. I've seen it. We're the only one. So when they listen to our podcast, what else do they do on iTunes? Enjoy. Well, yes. But shouldn't they tell other people about it? Well, absolutely. I mean, if, if, if they, you know, leave us a rating, leave us a review. That's helpful. All the stars, all the thumbs up. All the yes. Yes. <laughs> Very yes. Very yes. Tell other people how awesome we are by leaving us a review on iTunes and rating us. Yes. 70 stars. 70 stars. They make them. I make them.
You can also go to shop.spreadshirt.com slash themeltingpodcast and check out our swag store. You can get mugs, t-shirts, aprons, other things with our logo and our adorable cartoon faces on them. We're, we're, we're pretty cute. Yeah, I love that artwork so much. <laughs> it was totally worth it. I'm just it. glad I cut my hair to match it again. <laughs> yeah, you actually look like you now. I know, right? <laughs> but yes, yeah, so you can go to our Spreadshirt store, get things... Or, or you could go and back us on Patreon. Oh. And get swag. That's patreon.com slash afgrappin, A-F-G-R-A-P-P-I-N. And you get not only an extra patron-only episode every year, you get physical swag, everything from um, buttons to bumper stickers to t-shirts. Depending on your level of... And how long you are a supporter. Mm-hmm. And we're looking to start dropping some new stuff into the feed that our regular listeners don't get. Possible video episodes. Mm-hmm. Or even just video segments. Mm-hmm. So... Like, maybe you get to watch our faces while we read a mystery meal. Mm-hmm. Or even other things that aren't part of regular episodes. New exclusive segments. So go to patreon.com slash afgrappin. You can back us for as little as a dollar an episode and get access to all that. Yep. And it does help us so much. Tremendously. Because our eventual goal is that we want to be able to pay contributors. Oh, that's that would be People so who submit stories. People who do voice acting for mm-hmm. us and submit their work. We want to be able to compensate them for their time and efforts. Mm-hmm. So the more people who back us, the sooner we can do that. Yeah. And heck, if you back us, and then you send us a story, and we're able to pay, your $1 per episode could end up coming back to you as a payment for your submission. That's like cashback. We're like a credit card company now. Except we're not going to jack up your rates and charge you ridiculous interest and stalk you if you try to cancel. And and you're not going to get a little plastic card, but you'll get smiles from us. You could get a plastic card. I mean, we could always have laminated cards with our pictures on them sent if they really (laughs) wanted it. That'd be awesome. Wouldn't do anything, but they could just say, here, look, these are my people. Yeah. So, yeah, iTunes, Spreadshirt, Patreon, it really helps. And we've got a Melting Podcast Facebook group as well. Yes. So if you're interested in updates and getting in on our mystery meals mm-hmm. and things like that, yep. go join the group on Facebook. We're very active in there. Mm-hmm. Um, Lots of great discussions, you know, people being idiots. And again, the mystery meal prompts. All, uh, we post the first week or so of every month, mm-hmm. requests for nouns, verbs, etc., etc. And just comment and... You'll probably end up getting your suggestion in there. And we've considered doing live videos on that group, too, just for fun. Mm-hmm. So, And that's a public group. So, I mean, you can just go and then you get, you know, added immediately. Yeah, you just go and you join. We pre- you're good. Yeah. And I hang out there. Aaron hangs out there. Theo's been known to pop in on occasion. He's not so Facebook. You sad. have to summon him. Yeah. Like, actually tag him in something. There's a summoning flugelhorn that we have to blow. Better than the annoying little crumb horns. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I think that's about it. Except. Well, prompts. Prompts. You can't forget the prompts. I didn't forget the prompts. I can't say my catchphrase if they don't have the prompts. What is wrong with you? Okay, Aaron. Just You're half go ahead baked. And give, us, give us prompt number 12. Fell flat. Prompt number 12. Write a story featuring some kind of mystic cheese.
And yes, I just went, uh-huh. you know, for, yeah, librarian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and prompt number 13, where did the corn go? Well, it seems like every time our dish boy, Theo's, on the show, we're looking for corn or cheese or, or something like that. So tell us, where did the corn go? Tell us. And and it doesn't have to actually feature the podcast no, crew. You you, no. you can write anything. But. Yeah, fifteen hundred words or less based on those prompts. Um, go to the submissions page, themeltingpodcast dot com slash submissions for our guidelines. They're really easy to follow, and we can always use the the uh, the content. And remember, we've had people submit main ingredient stories based on a prompt. So if you feel the urge to write a main ingredient story. Based on, you know, mystic cheese. Go for it. That's up to 5,000 words. That gives you a lot more room to play. And we will gladly accept that. Mm -hmm. Or if you just have a story sitting around that hasn't been produced elsewhere, you don't know what to do for it, send it to us. We would love to produce it for you. We like doing things. We like doing things. Well, I think it's about time to do the other thing. The not podcast thing. Sleep. Live our lives. Sleep. Yeah. I love sleep. Say goodnight, Aaron. Goodnight, Aaron. What? That's not how we end the episode. Oh, 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 I know, I know, I know. Me, 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 me. Choose me, pick me, pick me. nobody else here except that barking dog. Okay, send us stuff. And we'll use it to feed the masses. Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at themeltingpodcast.com You can also find us on Twitter at MeltingPodcast or you can email us themeltingpodcast at gmail.com The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial no derivatives license which means you're free to copy it and share it as long as you don't change it, don't sell it and always link back to the website Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project And our theme is by Drew Rich Creek. Send us stuff.